Hi, I'm Latresa. And I'm Clancy. And we are a mother-daughter duo that shares a love and admiration for all things Elvis. On this podcast, you can expect a deep dive into the life of Elvis Presley. We will discuss books written by Elvis's friends, family members, and others who knew him best. We will critique and enjoy Elvis movies, concerts, and music with those who grew up listening to his music, watching his movies, enjoying his concerts, and hopefully inspiring a new generation of Elvis fans along the way. With all the misconceptions surrounding Elvis, we want to remember his life and his legacy. The man, the friend, the entertainer, and the philanthropist. This podcast is dedicated to those of us who celebrate the life of one of the greatest entertainers of all times. Let's Talk Elvis! And Latresa. And welcome back to the Let's Talk Elvis podcast. This week, we've kind of been all over the place with our episodes, but we, when we were trying to figure out this week's episode, I thought we should, before we get really deep into Elvis's life, talk about the Memphis Mafia, because they were the people that were with Elvis all of the time. They're pretty famous, and almost, if there's a picture of Elvis, there's almost always a member of the Memphis Mafia in the picture. But um, I also wanted to say there's a lot of controversy, I guess, with some of the Memphis Mafia members, and I don't want, we definitely have our our favorites, and we definitely have some that we aren't as crazy about but we try not to put our opinions too much into it no one's perfect we just try to research and I know I and I know my mom as well like if I read something I try to find it in multiple places to make like we try to find the factual information and Elvis wasn't perfect either he was human and you know, like I said, we weren't there. We just try to the best information that we can to share with you guys. But um, if you want to talk more about the Memphis Mafia, you can DM us on Instagram at Let's Talk Elvis Podcast. Uh, we can talk about it all day, but we're not going to use this podcast to bash on anyone. We're just going to tell the facts. But the Memphis came from a newspaper reporter in Las Vegas when Elvis and his friends, he always had, um, I mean, it could range from six to 14 guys with him at all times. Um, most of them didn't really have any official duties. They just knew what had to be taken care of. I'm talking like uh, when he, for years, when he would go from Memphis to California, he was afraid of flying. So they would he had a big Dodge motor coach and they would drive across the country when he had to go to Los Angeles to film and then they would drive it back. So on that road trip, the guys would get out and go get them food. They would get the motel rooms. Elvis in his hotel rooms had them put aluminum full over the windows because he slept during the day because he really couldn't get out and do a lot of things during the day. So that's when he would get out 
and do stuff. He would rent out amusement parks, uh, the Memphian movie theater. He would rent out roller rinks. They would get football games together at um, high school football fields in Memphis. So they would put aluminum foil over the windows. They would turn the air conditioner down way low because he liked it freezing. He always had a record player there. He always had to have the TV turned on. They took care of his cars like they would keep gas in them, keep them washed and tuned up. So whenever he decided which car he wanted to ride, it was he could just hop in and go and they were all ready for him. If he decided to rent out the fairgrounds or the Memphian or football fields, they would be the ones that would make the call for him. A lot of times they would pack up the bus before they left to go to California and they would stop and go in and have um, get the hotel rooms and you would use an alias for Elvis's name so no one knew it was him. They were his security guards. Um, they were extras in a lot of his movies. Um, they were companionship. They were his best friends. Uh, some of them lived with him. Some of them later on on tour would be wardrobe managers. Um, they would kind of be a go-between between him and the colonel. Like, they had to drop the colonel um, from Los Angeles to Las Vegas a lot during uh, movies and during his uh, engagement in Las Vegas. They would scout out girls to bring to the house. Um, they would have a foreman who was, like, the main Memphis Mafia and I guess had the biggest role they would sign checks and kind of be a go-between between the Colonel and Vernon and Elvis um but so the term Memphis Mafia came from a newspaper reporter in Las Vegas when Elvis and the guys were on a trip uh during a break in filming of GI Blues in 1960 they were all in dark suits and dark shades and he called him the Memphis Mafia, and the name stuck. So, um, also, I have a list of them and how they met Elvis, and it's definitely not all of them. Uh, they There are a lot that would come and go. They would work for Elvis for a while. They would Then they would go off and have their own careers. You know, being with Elvis would open a lot of doors for all of them. And he was always really supportive when one decided to try to go pursue a career of their own. And most of the time, unless they did something to betray his trust, he would welcome them back in anytime that they wanted to come visit or wanted to join back up with the Memphis Mafia and have no problem with it. Um, He expected complete loyalty. Um, if usually they would be up at Graceland before he woke up and ready for anything because Elvis wasn't a big planner. He would just wake up and see what he felt like that day. Sometimes he wouldn't even come out of his room. Um, they, some lived in a trailer behind Graceland. Um, some lived in apartments across the street and some lived in the basement at Graceland. If you're on the tour and you go down the stairs, the first door on your right, I believe, it's either the right or the left, was uh, one of their rooms. And then there's an annex building if you take the VIP tour that was also uh, where some of them lived. But they consisted of, and like I said, these people came and went. It's not all of them, but these are the ones that you mostly hear about. Joe Esposito, who 
Elvin Army. He was one of the foremans. Um, so like Elvis's right hand man, he had, I guess, the biggest role or official duty. He was also co best man in Elvis's wedding. Then you had Lamar Fike, who met Elvis um, before he burst into the music scene. His family moved from Mississippi to Memphis, like Elvis's. And I read that Elvis's mother really liked him. So she really, that went a long way with Elvis as far as who he wanted around him. So he started traveling with him pretty early on. And then Alan Fortas, who Elvis called Hog Ears, um, they met at a party at Graceland through another Memphis Mafia member, George Klein. George Klein, who Elvis called GK, went to Humes with Elvis. And they weren't like super good friends in high school, but they were friendly and had several classes together. But George Klein became a huge radio star in his own right. He's... Um, in the Hall of Fame for radio, and at the last few years of his life, he DJed at Elvis Radio on Sirius XM. Every Friday, he would have like an afternoon show where he would call up like their friends and tell stories about Elvis. He wrote a book, and um, so he GK would he was one that kind of went back and forth through the early years because. He was on radio and would do really good. And if he lost that job, he would go with Elvis. And then when they'd get back, he would try radio again. But so Alan Fortas met him through GK. And then there was Marty Lacker, who was a, another foreman like um, Joe Esposito. So he had an official duty. He's kind of right, right-hand man. He was co-best man with Joe Esposito at Elvis's wedding. And he met Elvis at Humes High School and then he had he had some family members, Billy Smith, who they showed him in the movie a few times. Not like he had a character. He was the one that was like running through the house and playing outside in the yard in Graceland. But they grew up together. They were first cousins. And he was with Elvis. Well, he never left Elvis. He was with him the whole time. And he was one of the ones him and his family lived in a trailer at the back of Graceland. Then you had Richard Davis, who um, was friends with another Memphis Mafia member, Sonny West, who uh, met Elvis at a roller rink in 1958. He he met Elvis. I hope this is not confusing. It's kind of crazy. So another member, Red West, who we mentioned in the school episode, they were cousins and they were both part of the Memphis Mafia. Red West was the first member. He met Elvis at Humes, and he was the one that stopped bullies from trying to cut Elvis's hair. So they ran into each other uh, right after high school, and he started traveling with him. He married Elvis's secretary, and he also he became a pretty famous actor in his own right. He was in Safe Haven, the Nicholas Sparks movie. He was in a lot of... Um, Elvis's movies and he was a great songwriter as well he wrote uh, separate ways and he wrote if every day was like Christmas that Elvis sang but he and his cousin Sonny West were part of the Memphis Mafia and Sonny met Elvis through Red and then you have Dave Hebler 
who uh, met Elvis at a karate studio. They were paired up and hit it off right away. Elvis was obsessed with karate. He started practicing it when he was in Germany in the service. And then you have Al Strada, who was hired in 1972 to guard the Los Angeles house at night for Lisa Marie and Priscilla, which I never knew that. And he's not one that was really mentioned a whole bunch, but I thought that was pretty cool. Then you had Dr. Nick Nicopolis, who was Elvis's personal physician. Um, he was first his physician, and then he got hired on just to be travel with Elvis. There was Larry Geller, who was Elvis's hairstylist, and he, him and Elvis really bonded over their uh, re- religion and, and spiritual books and spiritual and most of the guys him and the colonel hated him hated him um so he was pretty controversial within the group you have charlie hodge who met elvis during the army um he lived at graceland he till elvis died and a little bit after um and he played guitar for elvis and highly recommend his book me and elvis it's super good and he, he pretty much dedicated his whole entire life to Elvis. Um, then there's Jerry Schilling, who he met Elvis. He was way younger. And he was a really good football player at the time. He was probably closer to Priscilla's age. So I'd say he met Elvis when he was probably 12 or 13. I had his book pulled up, but now it's not cooperating on my phone, but he met Elvis. Red West knew him from his older brother. Super, er, Super Bowl. Really, really good football player in high school. So he was walking through the park one day. This was right, be- right before Elvis became famous. And he, they needed one more player. So Red yelled at him to come over and ask him to play. So he played with him and he was really good. And they asked him to come back next Sunday. And so it kind of started to be a thing. And he knew who Elvis was because he just heard him on the radio. And he just somehow was like, I, I knew that that was the guy from my radio. He loved his music. So he started playing with him every week. Elvis never treated him any differently, even though he was just a little kid. And after Elvis went into the army and came back, Jerry started going up to the house at Graceland. He was about 16. And Elvis always welcomed him, always included him in everything that they were doing. And eventually, he became a traveling member. Then you had Gene Smith, who was also one of Elvis's cousins. They grew up together. And a lot of the books talk about how they had their own language that nobody else understood but the two of them. Um, then you have Sam Thompson, who was Linda Thompson, Elvis's girlfriend from 73 to 75 who worked with Elvis from around that time period till he passed away. Then you have Ricky, David, and Billy Stanley, who were Elvis's stepbrothers. Their mom met Vernon when Elvis was in the service in Germany, and they moved to Graceland when they were really little. And Ricky and David worked for Elvis until they died. Then you had 
Marvin Gigi Gamble, who was married to Elvis's double first cousin, Patsy. He lived and worked worked with Elvis for a while. But I hope that wasn't extremely confusing, but it'll make it a lot easier to talk if you know the names and kind of the backstory. If you need to rewind, go right ahead. But what do well, you have? Okay, well, I didn't know um, that you were going to do a roll call. Um, <laughs> you, you, you covered a lot of what I've got. I basically, I have just about the same thing you have, but I do have more stories or a few things that you didn't mention. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I have a quote from um, Sunny West or from Red West. And Red said that um, he was referring to the Memphis Mafia. He said, if he liked you, you were in. There were no half measures. Clothes, parties, Cadillacs were all part of being a friend. But in return, he demanded mm. blind loyalty and a faith that whatever he did was right. And a lot of people yeah. felt like... Um, a lot of people just basically would say Elvis paid his friends to hang out with him and they would call him, you know, that they were just mooching off of him and different things like that. But they all um, stood by the fact that they all had um, certain jobs that they did. And you mentioned a lot of the jobs yeah. um, and everything they did was to make things run smoother for Elvis. Um, they all felt like yeah. they, they did a part to help with, with Elvis. I'm going to start with Red West. And you've already mentioned uh, the fact that um, Red Red was in high school. He went to Hymns High with Elvis. And um, Elvis was a year older. And uh, not only did Red save Elvis's lovely locks from being cut at one point in time, uh, one time Red was getting ready to go to football practice and he looks up and he sees Elvis in the building kind of fidgeting, acting very nervous. And so he goes up to him. I mean, they're just casual acquaintances, but he goes up to him and he says, hey, what's up? You okay? What's going on? And so Elvis tells him that he's got three guys outside waiting to beat him up. So Red walks him out and he basically says uh, to the biggest guy, he basically says, I hear that uh, you guys are wanting to whip up on Elvis. And the biggest guy tells Red, he says, no, 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 we just want to talk to him. So Red says, well, I tell you what, won't you talk to me and let Elvis go ahead and walk on home? So that was the second time that he had um, basically saved Elvis from getting uh, beat up. And so there was a lot of respect there. But one thing that uh, that Red says is that he would never forget Elvis's face whenever he um, whenever those guys were, you know, when he was afraid and they were they were going to beat him up. And he said that he felt like he said from 1952 on, he took on the role of Elvis's protector. It wasn't a role that he looked for, but it was one that just happened. And he felt like from that point in his life that he was Elvis's protector. And I thought that was a really nice little story. But, and I want to um, throw in there, too, every book that I've read about Elvis, the Memphis Mafia's in it. They mentioned that Red West was the toughest guy in Memphis. Like, that was his reputation. Oh, yeah. He's pretty popular. He was a really good football player. So this popular, super tough guy that everyone was scared of 
is defending this guy that they everyone thought was a little weird who liked to sing and play guitar and wiggle around on stage so I think that's pretty cool yeah I, I do too and um actually um you know I think you mentioned that uh, Red was an actor. He was also mm-hmm. a stunt man and a songwriter. He actually, I think it was 28 of the films that Elvis starred in. He um, was in those films. The person who Elvis was fighting. He and Elvis always did the fight scenes together. And in one interview I watched, they said, did you ever hit Elvis? And he laughed and he said, no, I never hit Elvis, but Elvis did hit me. So I thought that was kind of funny. And you also mentioned um, some of the songs that he wrote, Why Can't Every Day Be Like Christmas, which was an amazing song that Elvis recorded. Another song is If You Talk In Your Sleep, Don't Mention My Name. Uh, Red West wrote that one. I didn't realize he wrote that. That's a good one. He wrote that one. And in 1972, um, you know, Red was married to one of Elvis's secretaries, Pat. And and, Mm -hmm. uh, they were having marital problems. And uh, they were ready to separate. And so Red wrote the song Separate Ways about he and his wife. And he mm-hmm. says in it, you know, maybe someday he will understand because they had a son. And when uh, Elvis and Priscilla went through their separation and uh, and divorce, um, you know, he confided, he, he talked with Red. And that was when he, he recorded the song and he changed the lyrics to maybe she will understand. And that was basically Elvis's way of putting you know, what, what was happening in his life out Mm -hmm. there for him. But also what I thought was very interesting, I wasn't aware of is the B it was the B side for always on my mind, which is one of my all time favorites. And so I think both of those songs scream Priscilla. Um, so it doesn't really matter if you're a Priscilla fan or not, or a Priscilla and Elvis fan or not. The fact mm-hmm. that these songs um, were recorded around the time of their split. Yes. Um, you know, a lot of emotions, even if um, in a divorce, if it's irreconcilable differences or whatever, you've got a bond there. You've got a, a very special bond and, and a child and um, a sad time in, in a yeah. person's life to go through a divorce. So I thought that was very touching when I read that. I, yeah. I thought that was really something. Yeah. Um, and Billy Smith, one of Elvis's first cousins, he was eight years younger than Elvis. His family moved to Memphis at the same time that Elvis's did. And if you know the story about Elvis's dad, Vernon, serving time at the penitentiary for forging a check, he changed the amount of money on a check, basically, to feed his family. But uh, Billy's uh, dad was in on that, too. His name was Travis, and he was in on that, too. He also went to the penitentiary. And uh, Vernon was only there a few months. He got out early on um, good behavior. And I think there was a letter written um, on Elvis's or on Vernon's behalf. Um, And so uh, Vernon got out of of the penitentiary before Travis did. But when uh, Vernon and Gladys moved 
to Memphis. Billy's family moved with them as well, and they actually lived in the same home. Um, and so, you know, they, they were very close. Um, yeah. Whenever they bought Graceland, uh, Billy's family also moved into Graceland, and uh, Billy's dad, Travis, was the chief guard at the gate. And uh, Billy was known as a jack-of-all-trades as far as the Memphis Mafia went. Um, and he was actually, he and his wife were actually with Elvis the night before he died playing racquetball. Yeah. Um, he was one that was with him forever. He never left to do anything else. Yeah, he never left him. He didn't. Joe Esposito was road manager. Um and mm-hmm. he was from Chicago originally. And um, they went through basic training at Fort Hood in Texas together, but they actually didn't meet until they were both stationed in Germany and had been there for a year. Um, and the way mm. that Joe met Elvis was he was basically asked to go play football. They were looking for extra football players. So there again, he, he got... Uh, he got hooked up with Elvis over a football game. And um, he was, like you say, he was a co-best man in Elvis's wedding. Um, and he became, after Elvis passed away, he went on to become the road manager for Michael Jackson, the BGs, John Denver, and Karen Carpenter. So, um, wow. Lamar Fox. I heard two different stories. There were two different tales, and it was kind of like a, a running joke about Lamar Fike. Apparently, he was a big Elvis fan. Um, there were two different stories about how he actually met Elvis. One uh, was that he climbed over the wall and he never left, um, but they said that he, he <laughs> always hung around. He was a big Elvis fan. Um, the other one was that they probably met at Sun Studios where he was um, training to be a DJ. He worked with George Klein a lot. And they. Um, the other mm-hmm. story was that George Klein introduced them at Sun Studios. But um, the fact that he, when he got in, when he, when he found his way into the house and, you know, figured out how to be a part of the crowd, he, he was always there and he never left. They said that he was an amateur psychiatrist. He tried to analyze everybody and he was always the butt of all the jokes. Um, he was a the, my bodyguard. He was also one of the road managers and he handled the stage lighting for Elvis. And he began working for Elvis for free. Like we say, he was a big fan. He just apparently wanted to be around Elvis. Uh, but they did. And uh, Elvis's mother that, liked him a lot and encouraged yes. Elvis to keep him. Yes. But they did say that, you know, even though uh, at, at times the, the guys worked without pay, Elvis tipped with cars or houses oh, for yeah. their parents and things like that. So they always were... Um, were well paid for their services. Um, and this is, I thought this was hilarious that Fike was such a fan. When Elvis was drafted into the Army, he volunteered to go to the mm-hmm. Army. Yeah. 
So um, that that goes a long way in saying how loyal he was to Elvis. But there's a quote that I found that he said. He said, Elvis treated everybody equal. And he said, if Elvis Presley can treat a guy that sweeps the streets the same way he treats a corporate CEO and was just as nice to him, so could we be. So I thought that was really good that Elvis was that example and how he was no respecter of persons and how that rubbed off on them. Uh, You know, here they were going out and, you know, they felt like they were just too cool for school. Um, But um, but he always treated everyone with respect. And I I think that really went um, spoke well of him. Um, Yeah. Sunny West. The only thing that I have to add um, about Sunny is that uh, Elvis was the best man at his wedding. He married um, a girl named Judy and they raised after after his Elvis days, they raised Arabian horses. And Elvis wow. was his best man, and Priscilla was the matron of honor. And he also yeah, Elvis, appeared in several of Elvis's movies as extras. He Elvis actually paid for his wedding and threw his wedding at um, in his Las Vegas suite. Mm. And he did the same for George Klein, another Memphis Mafia member. He paid for the wedding. They had it in his Las Vegas suite, and he was GK's best man. Wow, that's cool. cool. Yeah. Um, Marty Lacker, uh, he appeared in 13 of Elvis's movies, and he also arranged some of his recordings. Um, He was originally from Brooklyn, New York, but he transferred to Hume Sci in 1953. um, And you had mentioned that. But one thing that, um, that I read about I actually I read it and then I also saw an interview where he was talking and he said that he moved to Humes High from New York City or from from Brooklyn New York and he said that he dressed different you know all the guys at Humes High wore jeans and um and white t-shirts and he said that they dressed really colorful and he comes to Humes High, and there's Elvis Presley, who is dressed just like he was, you know. Uh, so Elvis dressed yeah. like a, he was from New York when he was in Memphis. And so that kind of gave them a connection there. Um, but he didn't really join up with Elvis until 1961. And he also worked for other radio stations. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he was the one... Uh, Elvis had gotten kind of into, um, he was looking for things to record. He was really frustrated, looking for things to record. And Marty basically said, look, you know, everything that you want to record goes through the kernel. It goes through, you know, all these, um, these hoops before it ever gets to you. And, you know, songwriters, these people are tired of having to go through the kernel. Everybody yeah. would love for you to record a song for them, but people are tired of this, you know, this pony act. And they wouldn't get paid it. well for it. Exactly. And, and, it, and it cut into the money. And Elvis got to the point where he was like, I don't even care if we make money. I want to record the songs, which is like, you know, that's not really smart. We need the money, too. But Marty yeah. Liker helped him. And Marty was actually uh, responsible for uh, his recording of Suspicious Minds and In the Ghetto. That's just a couple of the songs that uh, Marty Lacker was in uh, was in charge of helping um, Elvis record, which was some of the best songs that he did in his later yeah. years. Oh, yeah. Uh, Huge hits. 
Yes. So Alan Fortress, I couldn't find a whole lot about him. I did find that Elvis called him Hog Ears. Could not yep. find out why. Um, he was an all-Memphis football halfback. Um, he also was a bodyguard. They met in the 1950s. And um, he actually left the Memphis Mafia after 1968 when Elvis started traveling because of the heavy traveling schedule. He, he, uh, he, he quit the mafia and moved on. Uh, he and Elvis remained close friends for the rest of Elvis's life. But um, he, you know, traveling really took a toll on Elvis. And apparently at that point in time, Alan backed out and, um, and, and took a different route. Uh, Charlie know, Hodge, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I really respect the guys that, I respect Elvis for being supportive of the guys. Most of the times, like I said earlier, the guys would leave because of a career opportunity. But a lot of the time, this career opportunity wouldn't have happened unless they had been with Elvis or with one of Elvis's guys. But he was always supportive. And I also, I have a lot of respect for the Memphis. I did want to still be friends with Elvis still loved Elvis but they didn't want to be on his payroll anymore they just wanted to be his friend and they wanted their own career exactly I really respect that and I I think Elvis was so supportive because he respected that too I think so too um and Elvis it was hard for Elvis to find people in his life that he could trust and and uh, that was one of the things that when I was I've watched all kinds of interviews of the uh the Memphis Mafia different members and that was one thing that um they all talked about how they were like an extended family a lot of them went way back with Elvis uh they had known him from from you know school or uh family or you know some type of an association like that and um, and and they they were like extended family. But the big thing with Elvis was trust because Elvis he he relied on these people that had been in his life for so long because he could not trust so many people. people he was like out for, they were like the only few people in the world that he could fully let his guard down and be himself exactly, with his inner circle. And he <laughs> demanded them, you know. Um, you read about like the upstairs he never locked his door upstairs um, but they knew that unless he called for them they did not go upstairs that was his space and they had that respect for him and he you know they just kind of had a a trust uh, a building trust there and um, a few things we're about to go over again gonna have to speed it up but little Charlie Hodge you've already done a good job covering Charlie Charlie was uh, Charlie loved Elvis oh my goodness um, loved Elvis um, but the first time Elvis and Billy saw Charlie was uh, Charlie was singing at the Ozark Jubilee show in Memphis and he was actually standing on a milk to reach the microphone. He was super short. short. He was about 5'2", I think. Um, But then Elvis traveled with him. They were on the USS Randall going to Germany together. And and Charlie befriended him. This was right after Elvis had lost his mom. And he said he could hear they were on the same bunk and he could hear Elvis grieving 
at night and he said he would jump down and he would start talking to him and asking him questions and saying things and getting him to laugh and would talk to him until Elvis would get so sleepy that he would he would fall asleep and so Charlie you know um used that time to to try to um to help him through his grieving process and I thought that was a really sweet story uh well I have something to add about Charlie I I don't have the book here with me, so I don't know if this is word for word, but he mentions in his book when Elvis was introducing his band in in Vegas and on tour at the part of the concert where he would introduce everybody, he would say, and this is Charlie Hodge. He hands me my water, my scarf, plays guitar, and he's my friend. Yeah, yeah, that's sweet. And El- he was also Elvis's vocal coach. I didn't know this. I listened to an interview with Charlie um, this this past weekend. And um, when Elvis decided to go back um, to doing tours, um, he, you know, when he was early, before he went into the service, they would do like a 15, 20-minute act. He would go out and he would do three songs. That was it. And then he was doing all the movies. But when he decided to go back on stage and to do the shows, he had to train his voice. He had to get his voice strong enough to be able to sing all of these songs. And Charlie was actually his vocal um, coach to help him with that. And he also harmonized with Elvis. Um, He would, would sing with Elvis. And one of the other guys, I don't remember which one it was, but there was another one. There was three of them. There was Elvis and there was two more. And if Elvis got tired of holding the note or, you know, cause he would be exhausted a lot of times yeah. or if he just didn't want to hold it anymore, whatever, Charlie and the other guy held it. Um, and he also did a lot of the arrangements, a lot of the songs, you know, Elvis would just kind of switch a song right in the middle of a concert if he wanted to do it, or if he didn't want to do another one. And Charlie had to have the band ready to be able with the tempo to jump right into. They knew which songs would go with the tempo they were they were um, using at the time. So, you know, he, he basically had to keep all of that. I, I think he said at one time there were like 500 different tunes that they had to be able to throw in, you know, and just wow. follow Elvis's lead. But he's the one who did all that arrangement. So I thought that was really cool, too. That is. And. Larry Geller, he was a spiritual advisor as well as the hairstylist for Elvis. Um, he he was into New Age and a lot of uh, of different philosophies and different um, spiritual uh, I don't know tricks. I guess you would say um, helping. Uh, apparently, Elvis was seeking his purpose. I do believe that Elvis um, had a strong foundation. Um, but I do feel like um, Larry he was, was always searching. He was always, he was always searching. researching, reading exactly. about different religions. He was fascinated by exactly different religions. But um, but Larry was very um, he was a very controversial member of the Memphis Mafia, and most of the older guys um, were not very fond, or they did not really trust him, and yeah. they blamed him for a lot of the issues. Which you know, the playing the blame game, um, everybody does it. But I have one more thing that I think may surprise a lot of people. There was one lady member of the Memphis Mafia. Her name was Judy Spreckles, and uh, she was the only woman. She was an heiress. She had a ranch in Las Vegas. Her family was very, very well.
she met Elvis um, in 1956 at a hotel, I think, in uh, Los Angeles, and um, they became friends. They were friends through the years, and she says that she was like a sister to Elvis. She says that, you know, girlfriends come and go, but sisters stay, stick, and she was a sister to him. She was a writer, and uh, she was an artist. She at one point, I think she, she got him to sit still long enough, she said, to do a portrait. But she was a writer, and he confided in her, and she said that she never, the only one in the inner circle that never wrote a book about him. She said that what he told her was between the two of them and that she wow. would never tell anyone. And she said wow. she, doesn't, she doesn't have a lot of uh, Elvis memorabilia. Uh, she says she's got all of it in her mind and in her heart, and she doesn't need to have it, you know, all around. Got all of his albums and things like that. Um, she said they shared a lot of really special times together. She came to um, Graceland when Gladys Presley died, and she said that she had never seen a sadder person in her life. But she would come mm -hmm. even after she was married and when he was performing in Vegas, she would come and he would always have her to stand up and he would recognize her as, you know, like his sister that he was, she was, she was one of his best friends and he would always give her recognition whenever she came to watch him on the show. No, I've, I've never heard of her. So I thought that was really interesting. I kept reading that there was, you know, the Memphis Mafia were men, yada, yada. And then it would say, and one woman. And I was like, oh, I've never heard that before. But then I did. I found it in several different places. And it's got her pictures and different things with him. I and, respect um, that she's not talking. But at the same time, all those I, memories and things are going to die with her. And that's very sad. <laughs> it is. It is. I totally agree. But um, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed uh, looking up all of these things about the Memphis Mafia, um, Elvis's best friends, um, the guys who stood beside him and the guys who tried to save him from himself at times, from the colonel at times, and, you know, just and sometimes that stood they by made him. It worse. Thick and thick okay. Yes, sometimes oh, they made sometimes. it worse. Exactly. Sometimes they made it worse. Um few more things i know are running late but i i the memphis mafia i feel like you could have four podcasts about um Probably. but they're also super important in the life of elvis if you're going to talk about the life of elvis so um so the, the the colonel was not a huge fan of the memphis mafia they distracted elvis he he just he didn't really they didn't like him very much either. They kind of had like a love-hate relationship. He had better relationships with some than with others. Um, not going to dig too deep into that. Uh, Vernon also wasn't a huge fan. And it was mainly because Vernon was a penny pincher. And he didn't like Elvis spending money on them. And, you know, having to pay him all that stuff. Not that he didn't like the guys themselves. But, you know, he's looking at if you've ever seen the TCB with the lightning bolt, they have necklaces. It's on the back of Elvis's plane, the Lisa Marie. It means taking care of business in a flash. And Elvis wanted to have, the, he and Priscilla were on a flight. It was either from Memphis to LA or LA to Memphis. I read both. Um, and he said that he wanted to have something made that was just for the guys. 
and um Priscilla at the time it was storming and a lightning bolt flashed across the sky so Priscilla designed a logo on the flight that was a TCB with a lightning bolt and he loved it immediately he had Jerry Schilling one of the Memphis Mafia members when they landed call his jeweler Hole Schwartz and had like a dozen 14 karat gold necklaces um, made up for him and the guys he had rings made up and the motto became like the Memphis Mafia's calling card and super famous today for all Elvis fans. Um, I found, and I don't know how accurate this is, but it's the only place I could find um, where, like, I tried to find the pay. So don't, I'm not saying this is like, yes, this is it. But I found where it said they were paid about $250 a week in the 60s and about 425 a week in the late 70s. Like I said, I don't know if that's true or not. You can message us if you know for sure whether it is or not. But that's what I found. Some other fun stories or facts was Charlie Hodge also posed as Priscilla's fiance when she was shopping for her wedding dress. Um, Jerry Schilling, he um, he actually also, he was one that kind of came and went. He produced and edited Elvis's um, the documentary Elvis on tour. He was also like a body double photo standing on Elvis's movies. He actually was the tour manager for the Beach Boys for years. Um, he had a pretty successful career in the music industry. After Elvis, he also was the tour manager for Billy Joel. Um, Elvis bought Jerry Schilling his first home in Los Angeles, where he still lives today. It's in the hills in L.A. And Jerry, his mom died when he was just a baby. And he kind of went back and forth between living with his dad and with his grandparents. Like, he never had a stable home. So Elvis wanted to be the one to give him his first home. Um, he bought him all horses and trucks and house trailers when he owned a ranch in Mississippi so they could all live there together. He bought them motorcycles. He would pay off mortgages, buy them jewelry. A lot of them that are still alive um, will wear Jerry Schilling's another. I just got done reading his book, but Elvis was into like numbers and Jerry was a six, I believe. And it was Christmas and Lisa and Priscilla were in Los Angeles. So Elvis didn't really feel like celebrating. And he had Jerry come up to his room and sit and watch TV with him. He decided that he was going to get a, a ring or some jewelry for his grandma for Christmas. So he had Jerry call his jeweler up. Jeweler came to the house. He picked something out for his grandma. And he asked Jerry to give him and the jeweler a minute. And when Jerry came back after the jeweler was gone, Elvis handed him a big emerald ring. And he said, six sixes need to have emerald on their skin for good luck. And I always want you to have good luck. And Jerry never took it off. Eventually, the emerald fell out. And uh, like in 2006, I believe Lisa Marie noticed. And she asked if she could see the ring. And she actually went and got em another bigger emerald put in so she he's got a gift for and elvis which i thought was really cool but if you and, ever uh, more, lisa lisa marie was actually jerry Schilling's secretary too that was her first job yeah yeah and he managed her when she first started out her music career but um 
if you ever want to know more, there's tons of YouTube videos out there. My favorite books are Charlie Hodges, Elvis and Me, Elvis, My Best Man by George Klein. And his life is fascinating anyways. He was a, a big radio jockey at the beginning of uh, rock and roll. I mean, he was the first guy to play Johnny Cash on the radio. Or it was either Johnny Cash or Jerry Lee Lewis. I'm currently reading his book again. And I'm not only loving the Elvis stories, but his life is just fascinating all on its own on the radio at the time that he was I love it and then um, me and Elvis I believe that's what Jerry Schillings is called um, me and a guy named Elvis those are yeah that's me and a guy named Elvis those are all really great books if you want any more suggestions um, feel free to message us on Instagram and thank you to those who have messaged us on Instagram we past a thousand followers this week which is nuts and we've had some great comments and messages and we love getting those so please send in suggestions we will um we will do your suggestions and um follow us there if you haven't and on tiktok at let's talk elvis podcast make sure to subscribe and leave a review if you like what you hear but thank you so much for tuning in it's so exciting to watch the listeners grow each week and the followers grow and we're having so much fun doing this just let us know what you want to know and we'll try our best to find out yes thank you all so much everybody have a great week good night